Hey, listen, if you would, reach into your bulletin and uh, grab your study guide out. And let me just say thank you for being here. Sure is good to see you. And uh, one of the things you'll notice at the top of your study guide is that the topic that's listed there is not the topic we're going to study today. However, that sheet will be helpful for you. We're going to uh, list out uh, some very important things that I would love for you to take notes and uh, hang on to these uh, thoughts that I'll be giving to you as we move through our study today. I was <clears throat> reading several uh, blogs on Friday. And in the process of reading, I read one that I've never read before, at least to my knowledge, never read before. It was by a lady named Rhonda Stopp, S-T-O-P-P-E. She, um, <clears throat> she is the wife of a youth pastor somewhere. I don't know where. I don't know what church. I, I don't know anything other than what I just told you and the fact that she wrote this blog that was very solid and made an impression on me. So much so that I couldn't get away from it. I kept thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And eventually determined that uh, I needed to share this with you today. And so changed everything, put this into the works. And uh, what you see on the screen is we're going to be talking about 10 reasons to go to church even when you don't feel like it. Uh, now, don't get scared because we will not address all 10 of these today. Uh, let me change that. We will address all 10 of these today, just not necessarily this morning. I'm planning to get through seven this morning. That's where my, my goal mark is. And we'll see how that goes. And then we'll complete the task this evening in our study and review time this evening. Uh, so don't get too afraid. My reason for looking at this is I was thinking about it, reading the blog and thinking about it. I thought, you know what? Uh, so often I'm afraid that we view church as just something we do. It's just something we go to when we feel like it. It's something we go to if we don't have anything else to do. It's really just something that we do on the weekend or it's something we do, well, because that's what we've always done or because that's what our parents did or our grandparents did and therefore we're just following suit. And I think it's a dangerous place to get to when church just becomes routine. And as I was reading her blog, reading these points, I'm borrowing her points, by the way. As I'm reading her thoughts in there, I think to myself, wow, we need a new perspective on church. We need something to define why we come to church. And so this morning, that's what we're going to take a look at. So if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, if you would write this first one down. Number one, the reason I would come to church even when I don't feel like it is because God says to go. God says to go. If you would also write this reference down, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews 10, 25, here's what this verse says. You'll see it on the screen. It says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us not neglect coming together, as some people do. 
There's a problem in the minds of some people and they're thinking that this is simply here when I desire to take advantage of it. And yet God is giving us a commandment, giving us very direct talk as we see in the book of Hebrews that there's a purpose for us being here. And therefore God commands us to be here. And then he says, and encourage one another... Encourage one another to be here. Encourage one another once you're here. And even more so as the world grows darker, as the world becomes more evil, as we see the time of Christ's return drawing near. There ought to be a purpose to be in church. Now quite honestly, we could start and end with this thought. We could, couldn't we? I mean, we could just say, you know what? The reason we go to church is because God tells us to do it. And that draws the line. Enough said. You don't really need to lay out anything else. There's no reason to say anything else. Here's what God commands, and therefore we know that we're going to be people who follow through on that. And yet the blessing of what God shows us in His Word is that there's so much more involved. We know that God doesn't command us to do things just to make life hard. God doesn't command us to do things just so we lose a couple of hours sleep on the weekend. God doesn't command us to do things so that we don't get to enjoy these long weekends like everybody else does. When God commands us to do something, there is a very specific and a very practical reason why He does. And we know that it's always for our good. And for his glory. So then, since that's the case, let's don't just start and end with God says to do it. Let's go ahead and take this a little bit further. Number two. Number two. Why would I come to church even when I don't feel like it? Number two says to participate in corporate worship. The reason I would come even when I don't feel like it. And by the way, just as a side note here. When I say you come to church even when you don't feel like it, I'm not saying if you're sick and you've got something contagious. I don't think there's anybody in the entire building who would say, we want you here even if you're going to make everybody else sick. I don't think that would be the case. But I'm talking about when you just wake up feeling groggy, you didn't get enough sleep, you just just don't feel your best, you don't feel at peak. It would be so easy just to turn off the alarm clock and pull the cover on up and just say, you know what? I'll catch him next week. (laughs) But God expects us to be here. And one of the reasons is because we can participate in corporate worship. Corporate worship. Now, what does it mean to worship God? It means to express His greatness. To express His value. To express His significance to us. So then when we come here and we sing as we did this morning, I'm surprised I've got any voice left. Uh, Jason has a way of getting me so involved in the worship through music that by the time I get up here, sometimes my throat is scratchy and and I've just about sung all of my abilities out. And and that's the way I kind of feel this morning. I've sung to my top level and I feel like I'm really straining right now to get anything to come out. And so when we come together corporately for that purpose, and we're here to to express the greatness of God through our singing, what we're saying is, God, you are so valuable to me that I just want everybody to know it. I want everybody to know it. 
And then when we get to this part of the service where the Word of God is opened up, we begin talking about what God wants us to hear on this particular occasion. We're expressing the greatness of God through our attention. God, it's so important to me what you have to say that I'm just going to pause and listen intently to it. I want to hear everything you have to say to me. I'm worshiping God through my attentiveness. God, I need to hear from you. I desperately need to know what you're wanting to show me today. And when we come to the offering, we're worshiping God. God, you're more valuable, you're more significant to me than my 10% or my 20% that I'm going to give today. You're more important to me than a little extra money that I could spend on who knows what. I could buy a new car with what I give in my tithes every month, whatever. You're more important to me. And so in my giving, I'm worshiping you. And when we come and we're serving one another, people back working in the nursery right now, people working in the tech booths, these people are here serving God, saying, God, you're so important that I'm going to give up my time sitting with my family, sitting out, listening to what you have to say, so that I can serve others, so that they can sit and enjoy and be able to hear better what you're saying. And it's a form of worship. And there's something so incredibly special about us coming together with like-minded people. People who have the same heart. People who have the Spirit of God indwelling us. People who are, are possessed and controlled by the direction God wants in our life. It's something special when we come together for the purpose of corporately worshiping God. Now, please understand this. When we do that, God gets what he wants from us. God has told us that we've been created for the purpose of giving him glory. We've been created for the purpose of expending our efforts and our our emotions and our desires and our attention on Almighty God and expressing his greatness through everything that we do. So, so much the case. And so God receives the glory, but the blessing is, as we said earlier, everything God commands us to do, there's a reason for it, and it's done for our good. Here it is, it turns right back around for us. Because when we express the greatness of God, and we worship Him, and we give Him glory with our lives, all of a sudden, we begin to experience a feeling of fullness The emptiness that was there all of a sudden is filled because we are doing what we've been created to do. We've been created to give God glory so that when I'm giving God glory, that emptiness that's inside of me all of a sudden begins to fill. There are people, and I was one of these people for years and years and years, who are searching for a way to fill the emptiness inside of them through drugs, through sex, through alcohol, through pornography, through greed, through anger, through, through bitterness, through whatever other means you can possibly come up with. They're trying to fill that emptiness, and what they find is that while it may satisfy for a few minutes, or it may satisfy for a few days, that emptiness keeps returning. And that's because the only way to fill the emptiness inside of us, this God-sized emptiness, is with God himself. 
So when we come together corporately, and by the way, when I do it privately, you do it privately as well, with the purpose of worshiping and glorifying God, then I am blessed in the process because that which I've been looking for and searching for all of a sudden becomes reality in my life. The emptiness is filled. What an incredible blessing. And so the reason I come to church... Even when I don't feel like it is because I get to experience and participate in corporate worship. Number three, there is no way for me to express the great importance of this point. There's no way. No way for me to overstate how important this one is. But the reason I come to church, even when I don't feel like it, number three is to teach my kids to love God, to love others, and to love the church. The reason I come, even when I don't feel like it, is to teach my kids to love God, to love others, and to love the church. Now here's the thing. For years and years, people have, uh, I've seen it throughout the years, bring their kids to church... Because they know how important it is for the kids to be here. And they drop them off and then they leave. Now, if that's you, please, please hear me out. Because this is not a condemnation-based thought. What I'm looking to do is inspire you. I'm looking to show you a different perspective on this whole thing. So that maybe when you leave here, you leave saying, you know what? Okay, I'm going to change the way I do that. And they bring them and they drop them off and they, they do so with the thought they need to be in there. I want them to know about God. I want them to know about Jesus. I want them to have that foundation. I want them to grow up understanding how important the church is in their life. And then they leave. Jesus, speaking in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40 he says, the student will become like the teacher. Student will become like the teacher. In other words, he's not saying the student will become what the teacher teaches him to be. But the student will become what the teacher is. The teacher is. It's so true. That I'm, I'm bringing my children, I'm telling them, it's so important that you be here. And yet then I'm turning and I'm leaving and so what I'm saying doesn't match what I'm doing. So then I'm leading them through my words to do one thing, but the reality is they're going to catch a lot more through my example than through my words, and they're going to become like the teacher. Become like. If I want them to see the value and the significance, I can't just bring them and drop them off and tell the, the youth leaders or the children's leaders, who, by the way, do a fantastic job. I can't just bring them and tell them, listen, I, I want you to, to uh, pour your heart into them, and they will. And, and I want you to do that to change their lives completely. I want you to heal them. I want you to, to, to fix them, whatever the case may need. Because the reality is our children's workers and our youth workers only have our kids and our grandkids for one, two, three hours a week. 
And so while they get an opportunity to make an impact, the real impact comes at home. The real impact is going to come from parents and grandparents who are spending a lot more time with your children. So then I want to lead them by example. Because I want them to grow up with this bedrock. I want them to grow up with the foundational truths of God's Word in their mind and in their heart. I want to lead them by my example. And the way I do that is by being here myself. I'm going to come and I'm going to say, hey, this is so important that I've got to be there also. And through my example, I'm going to train them to love God. It is important to me, kids, to love other people. These people are important. They're my family. They're my Christian family. And to love the church of Jesus Christ. They pick that up through my example and not necessarily through my words. Number four. Number four. The reason I would come, even when I don't feel like it, is because iron sharpens iron. Now, in case my southern draw is, is hard to understand here, let me spell it I-R-O-N. Iron sharpens iron. I understand sometimes I get into that very southern way of speaking, and some of you are saying, what did he say? Um, we were talking about this just the other night, about how uh, early on in my life, in seventh grade, I remember being in speech class and giving a speech one day, and my speech teacher looked at me and she said, Tom, you have got to get rid of that southern draw." And I remember standing up here then later in life and, and talking and, and uh, having my brother tell me after, you've got to stop saying Winda. You've got to stop saying, he would give me a list of things that I had said. So country, he said, you've got to change that so people can understand what you're saying. Well, that was really important, wasn't it? Okay. So number four, because iron sharpens iron. That's exactly what Proverbs 27, 17 tells us. Iron sharpens iron. There's something really important happens when we come here. And we begin to to interact with people who are like-minded, people who have common desires of, of worshiping and glorifying God. And all of a sudden, what we see is that we begin to encourage one another. We begin to strengthen each other. We begin to help each other mature in our relationship with Christ because we're holding each other accountable. We're talking about things. We're, we're, we're learning from each other in small groups and Sunday school classes. And, and all these things are, are, are serving a purpose of developing us even more. But there's something else that happens when iron clashes against iron. If there's enough friction there, there's going to be sparks. And you know what? Despite our Christianity, we are still human. And therefore, there are times when we bump up against somebody and personalities just clash. Or somebody's doing something that we want to do. Somebody got credit when we didn't get credit. Someone got to fill a position that we wanted to fill. Whatever the case may be, we're human and sometimes those things really affect us. And sparks fly. You know, one of the things I've noticed is in this iron sharpens iron mentality is that God uses those times to point out what's really going on on the inside. 
Jesus tells us, Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what's inside, what's really inside, not what's in the facade, not what's in this picture we want everybody else to see, but what's really going on inside comes out in those times of friction. It becomes visible. God uses those times of friction to show us what's really on the inside and to show us these areas in life that we really do need to grow up. We really do need to mature. We really do need to develop to be more like Christ. To our credit, when we follow through on that, we see that and we recognize, God, that's not really how a Christian should behave. That's kind of more like what I used to be. And we follow through, we repent of that, and we turn away from it. We say, God, grow me up, mature me to where that doesn't happen again. Then God begins to develop us even further. Something very great about rubbing up against other people, day-to-day living. God calls us here for the purpose of developing one another. Of growing with one another. So why would I come to church even when I don't feel like it? Well, because it's going to help me. It's going to grow me. It's going to make me more like Christ the longer I'm around people who are like-minded. Number five. The reason I would come, even when I don't feel like it, is to exercise my gift. To exercise my gift. God bestows upon each of us who are children of God, an ability, a supernatural ability, a gifting, if you will, that's unique to you. There may be others who have a similar gifting, but there's one way or another that your gift is unique. It may be that your gift is teaching or exhorting or, or, or maybe it's uh, confrontation. Some people have that spiritual gift and... Uh, that's a tough one. Or, or maybe it's Thanksgiving, or, or maybe it's serving, or whatever else we might throw into the list here. We come here for the purpose of exercising those gifts. Paul paints us a picture of what the church looks like, and he says it's like a body. That every part of the body has a different part to play. And as long as every part of the body is functioning as God created that part to function, you've got a very healthy body. But if you've got some parts of the body who don't think they're important or what they have to contribute isn't significant or they're just not up to it right now, then what happens? You've got a body that's in trouble. If my hand all of a sudden decides, well, I'm not quite as important as that mouth, That mouth of his talks and talks and talks when he's up there. And all I do is stand here and wave back and forth. I'm I'm just going to stop doing that. Then I've got a real problem, right? The same is true with the body of Christ. Every one of us is uniquely gifted. And every one of us should be using that gift for the glory of God. 
Every one of us, whether it's singing in the choir, playing an instrument, working with the tech, working with children or youth or young adults or senior adults, leading Bible study groups, leading small groups, whatever the case may be, as God has gifted us, we have a responsibility now to take it and embed it in the church family to where the church functions properly, to where the church is whole and healthy some people say, well, time, everything moves along pretty smoothly. You don't really need me. How, how misguided that concept is. Everyone has a place. And everyone needs to be involved. You may say, well, I've tried to get involved before. And whether it was your fault or somebody else's fault or my own fault, I don't know. Or maybe you do know. And, and, and so I've tried it and it just failed. I tried it one time. I tried it ten times. I tried it a hundred times. And it's just always failed. What I want to encourage you to do today is in your bulletin you'll find one of our connection cards. I would love for you just to write the word serve at the top of it. You, you don't have a place of service. Write that word at the top and say, you know what? One of the reasons I need to be here is to exercise my gift. So find me a place. And maybe for you, you already know what you'd like to do. I love working with babies. And therefore, I'd love to be in the nursery. Or I love singing. I need to be in the choir. Or, or I love working with tech stuff. And so we've got plenty of opportunities. And you'd write that down. That's what I enjoy doing. Is there a place that's available for me? Or maybe you would just say, you know what, I don't really know what I want to do, but I do know that I really like playing an instrument. I really like singing. I really like working with kids. Can you help me find a place? And so you're just going to jot that down. Enjoy working with kids or whatever the case may be. Then we'll contact you this week and we'll begin to direct you and lead you to a place that we think you will absolutely love serving God. And you will be able to take your giftedness and make an, an, an incredible impact on our church family. Will you do that? Why do I come when I don't even feel like it? Well, so that I can exercise my gift. Number six. I come because it's my responsibility to bear other people's burdens Bear, B-E-A-R, other people's burdens. To help carry other people's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear each other's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ. Man, you can be going through life and it can just be the greatest thing in the world. And then all of a sudden, there's a phone call. There's a, a doctor on the other line, the other end of the line. And uh, he begins to tell you what he found out through your blood work. Or everything can be going really well and all of a sudden there is a relational issue that begins to devastate and tear your family apart. Or you can be going through life just sailing along so smoothly and all of a sudden the stock market takes a dip and whoa, you're in trouble. Or you can be enjoying life and somebody 
in your family unexpectedly dies. And at that moment, you recognize that life for now, or maybe from now on, has drastically changed. And it's in that moment that you begin to feel alone and afraid. Alone and afraid. And perhaps even a little bit vulnerable. Did you know that people who are actively involved in a church family, and primarily I'm talking about Bible study groups or small groups like we're starting in January or, or even Sunday school classes that are, that are interacting with each other. They don't, ex- they don't experience those feelings to the same degree as those who are not connected in that way. And why? Because there's somebody in their group who is lovingly caring and concerned about them. Who is reaching out to them to try to hold them up in desperate times. Who, who is, is loving them through this problem and through this difficulty. Who's on their knees praying for them at this time. And one of the great blessings of being part of a church family is when we are the ones who get to extend that type of love to other people. When we're the ones who get to reach out and help, when we're the ones who get to benefit other people who are really struggling right now. But I can tell you that God also uses it for the other side when we're that person who needs it. I've been there several times in the last few years Where I needed that. I needed people to reach out. I needed people praying for me. And I've experienced that goodness from God. When you have done just that as a church family. How important. How significant it is. For God to give us such a loving, caring group of people. That despite what's going on, they're standing with us and standing by us. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons I'm going to come to church even when I don't feel like it is because, number one, I know there are times when I need this family. But number two, there's also times when I need to be that family to someone else. Such an important role. Such an important role. That's why I feel that our Our life groups that we're starting in January are going to be vital for us as a church. Because it just takes what we've experienced to some degree in Sunday school and escalates it. It builds relationships. It builds bonds in such a way that people are going to be praying for each other. If you haven't experienced it yet, you are in for a treat. And if you haven't determined you're going to be part of one yet, I wish that you'd take your little card out of your bulletin and put your name on it. Drop it in the offering plate when it comes by you later on. Say, hey, when it comes time to, to make a decision on whose group I'm going to be part of, I want to be in on it. On January the 4th, I believe it is, we'll have the leaders there 
in, in a place where we can all come together and you can see when they're wanting to meet. You can see the day, the time, how long maybe. You can see if they have kids. You can see the whole gamut of things. And you'll be able to pick out a leader that fits your situation. And you can join that group. I'm praying that you'll get involved because I think that it will make such a huge difference in our church and in our lives. Finally, number seven. The reason I'm going to come is so that I can be a light to my community. So that I can be a light to my community. I want to tackle this from two different thoughts. Number one, Jesus says that people will know that we're his disciple if we love one another. People will have an understanding of who we really are, not just who we say we are, by the love and concern we show for each other. Partly when we're bearing each other's burdens. You know, when we're going through something hard, people are watching us. They're, they're queuing in on it. They're seeing, is what he says really real? Not that we don't struggle, not that we don't cry, not that we don't have pain and grief and sorrow like everyone else. But there's something unique in our sorrow because it's sorrow with hope. It's sorrow with hope because we have people who are standing with us. People are watching to see that and they're seeing, you know what? That is so unusual these days. Most people are just looking out for themselves. But they've got a support group like I've never known before. Look at how they're caring for them, how they're checking on them, how they're sending meals or whatever the case may be. And the Spirit of God will use those little nuggets of faith that people get to experience to draw them to Jesus Christ. Another way to look at this is that there are times when we have this incredible family experience and yet then we have one of those iron sharpens iron time that there's a little bit of friction somewhere. And that friction causes someone to get disillusioned and they say, well, you know what, um, I got my feelings hurt or, or I... I I, I just don't think I'm getting what I need or, or I, I just see that there's so much hypocrisy. Unfortunately, those things are real, aren't they? I mean, even in a, a tight-knit family like we are, those, those things are real. And I'm not here to belittle those who feel that way. That's not even the direction I'm taking this. But I do want you to understand something. The Bible says that we have an enemy who walks about like a roaring lion looking to devour. And the way the enemy picks his prey is just like a lion picking his prey. He's looking for that one which has been separated from the group. Unfortunately, when we hit those times of friction, we have a choice to make. We can grow up, we can mature together, we can approach the difficulty, and we can resolve it in a Christian way, or we can determine, you know what, I'm fed up with that, I'm just, I'm done, I'm done. And it is that separation 
that makes us so vulnerable to what the enemy wants to do in our lives. We put ourselves kind of off to the side, and the enemy has the opportunity to attack, to pounce. And the rest of the family isn't gathered around to strengthen. The enemy won't necessarily attack so so boldly those who are close-knit, those who have a support group. But as soon as one gets separated, all of a sudden, it's fair game. We need each other. We need each other so desperately that when we have these little times of friction, instead of allowing it to separate us, we need to go to each other and say, you know what, you said something there that it just didn't sit well with me. It really hurt. And we need to try figuring it out. We need to deal with those issues. I'm not a confrontational person. It doesn't matter. We need each other so desperately. We've got to step outside of what's comfortable and deal with things so that we maintain the integrity of what God has given us here. So important. So vital. The reason I'm going to come to church even when I don't feel like it is because I know how badly I need you. And I'm praying that today has been a day when you begin to maybe see a different perspective on things if you thought differently than that. To where you're beginning to understand, you know what? It's true. I need them too. I need them too. So what would we do with information like this? There's a number of things that I can think of, but I think the biggest thing is that we just make a determination. I've, I've grown to the place to where now I see that the Word of God has got to be a priority in my life. I've grown to the place where I see that prayer has got to be a priority in my life. And now I'm also growing to the place to where I see that church has got to be a priority in my life. And so maybe today we just spend a little time with God saying, God, I, I really haven't made it a priority. But today you've opened my eyes. You've allowed me to see the significance of church. Help me. Help me to be there. Thank you.